The internet, a digital world where a plethora of information resides and is ready to be divulged at the press of a key. This world wide web is one of humanity's greatest inventions. And while it provides the world with entertainment and knowledge, the internet is a dark place with many hidden dangers. The dark web provides shady characters with illegal means to procure anything from darknet markets to dark web social networks. However, despite these illegal digital places, there lurks another danger within the internet. A danger that could have catastrophic consequences on the world, and a danger that has already affected you without you even knowing it. Think of the following. A child on their mobile phone jumping from one social media app to the next. While you may not believe it, an average child spends around four to six plus or minus hours on these social media apps. During this time, your child, a good person on average, hears about challenges like destroy your school's bathroom, to punch a parent in the face, to scream in the face of a baby. Small, destructive challenges like these are how it starts. Soon, the challenges escalate to rob a random person, to steal from a high-end store, to shoot your neighbor's pet. Your child, seeing that those performing these criminal acts are gaining a large fan base, decides to perform one of these acts. Then, they see their accounts skyrocket with fans. Others begin to rave about how awesome they are and ask what they're going to do next. Barking is heard in your neighborhood. Your child, a good person, stares at the ghost gun they purchased from a dark web pop-up. A few moments later, there is only silence in the neighborhood. A police investigation would later find that your child learned of these horrid challenges from TikTok accounts at Devious Kicks, at Malicious Smiles, and at Fairy Dust. But when these accounts are traced, authorities find that all these accounts don't exist. What you, your child, and authorities aren't aware of is that these accounts weren't created by a person or a group of criminals. No, these accounts were created by a digital entity the world has never seen before. I'm Agent Kai, and I've decided to make my reports for Lyles in the form of a podcast. My hope is that you, dear listener, will discover the truth of this world and open your eyes to it. The howling of wolves was getting closer as I made my way through the knee-deep snow of Forêt Montmorency. I was a few hundred feet from Stagfrost Site B, but in this snow I may as well have been miles away. The wolves would be on top of me any minute. Therefore, I readied my Somrev and prepared myself to face my frenzied opponents. I made it another few feet before the wolves appeared from out of the trees. A pack of four wolves. Their fangs were exposed and their growling echoed throughout the late afternoon air. As they began to circle me, I couldn't help but notice that these wolves were bigger than the average grey wolf. The biggest of the four, the dark grey, was the Alpha. It was the quietest and looked straight into my eyes. I knew the pack wouldn't make a move unless the Alpha moved first. I aimed my Somrev, a gun that discharged a non-lethal sleeping round, at the Alpha and squeezed the trigger. The gun fired the round, but it bounced off the wolf. Reflexively, 
I turned on the Somrov's high beam scope on the Alpha. The high intensity light revealed metallic skin underneath a thin layer of fur. It also revealed the mechanical yellow eyes of the machine. The Alpha made its move. I barely had time to grab the Raisin, my backup, and shoot a bolt of electricity at the Alpha. The mechanical wolf dodged my attack and pounced on me. I did my best to keep its snapping jaws from tearing my throat open while the Raijin reloaded and I used it to electrify the Alpha out of commission. The rest of the pack attacked. I managed to knock out two of the three remaining wolves. The remaining wolf went for my leg. It sunk its jaws past my padding and into my flesh. I screamed and shot the Raijin at the wolf point blank. The electricity was so potent with this round that the mechanical wolf's circuitry fried on the spot and burst into fire. Groaning in pain, I soldiered on, pulling out a bifrost injector pen. I used the pen on my arm, though Alpha Wolf ripped through the padding here and bit me and on my leg. When I arrived at Stagfrost Site B, I saw Sand smoking a cigarette in front of the facility's entrance. It would seem you have an annoying habit of surviving, Sand said. He's not going to like this one bit. He's not going to like a lot of things, I said. A few days before my confrontation with Sand, I found myself in search of someone or something named Discordia in Quebec City. The information Gino provided me several weeks ago gave me this lead. However, Gino wasn't able to find out what this name meant. Try as he might, and Gino was one of the best tech mages in the world. This one name stopped him in his tracks. Therefore, I passed the name on to Percy Blade. While Gino may have been a great hacker on his own, Blade had all of Lyos' resources available to him. It is worth mentioning, dear listener, that aside from Sand's whereabouts and the name Discordia, Gino also came across a strange firewall the likes he never seen. Navigating past this firewall is what took Gino a few extra days to break through. This was a remarkable fact for two reasons. One, the said firewall, somehow, was invisible to any and all services associated with Lyos, meaning that no one on the Lyos network could detect this firewall. Only a skilled hacker like Gino, outside of Lyos, could find it. This explained why Blade couldn't locate Sand. Two, once Gino found Sand's location and came across the name Discordia, he was at a loss as to what the name implied. Nothing he did worked. Gino said it was like chasing a ghost. Every time he thought he found something on Discordia, that something vanished. Blade, on the other hand, was able to pick up a few hits on the name. Thanks to Gino, who had tracked Sand to Canada, Blade discovered, through the help of various intelligencers stationed throughout Canada, that Discordia had registered on the radar of an intelligencer posted at Le Collège Bas as a professor of artificial intelligence. And it was here that I began my search for sand. I met Marduk upon my arrival in Quebec City in his office at Le Collège Bas. He informed me that he'd heard the name Discordia several times here and there from one of his graduate students, Olivia Tremblay. There wasn't much he could tell me other than the fact he believed it to be the name of Olivia's AI project. Would you care for a drink? He said, pulling out a bottle of Taranger. That's all I have, I'm afraid. 
Thank you, it's actually my favorite. Marduk handed me the glass. We both took a sip. It was a strong glass with explosive flavor, more so than usual. Sorry, should have warned you, Marduk said. I added a drop of my own creation. I call it Timot. Basically, it highlights the champagne's taste, but it also increases its alcohol content. That's quite ingenious, I said. You have to give me a sample. Marduk smiled. Of course. Marduk then went on to mention that, as far as he was concerned, there was nothing sinister going on with Olivia. According to Marduk, Olivia was a hard-working student with much potential. She had already published several papers in major scientific magazines and was receiving several offers from prestigious universities from the States to work for them. However, he added, he hadn't seen Olivia much in the recent weeks. This wasn't alarming because she was known to go out to Foray Montmorency to conduct research in the labs out there. After thanking Marduk, I had Blade find Olivia's address so that I could pay her a visit. Olivia Tremblay lived in Lou Samuel Holon, apartment building with a roommate, Milady de Winter. She was the one who answered my call and buzzed me up when I introduced myself as Dr. Edmond Dantes, a professor of mechanical engineering from MIT. I added that I had read Olivia's paper on the importance and future of artificial intelligence and was interested in discussing her hypothesis on AI. Vous aimez le genre d'Olivia? Milady said. Oui, j'en pensais que c'était fascinant. I had read Olivia's recent paper thanks to Marduk, and it disturbed me. Her main thesis was that we should embrace artificial intelligence as the new human, that the physical world was in shambles, and humanity needed artificial intelligence to provide a new world, a new reality for humans. However, there was no mention of her own AI, Discordia, in it. When I asked Midlady if Olivia would be long in returning from wherever she was, Milady said she wasn't sure. Je ne l'ai pas vue depuis deux jours, Milady said. Le laboratoire de la forêt. Elle pourrait être là, I then said. Quel labo? Le laboratoire de la forêt de Montmorency. Merci. Pensez-vous que Olivia sera bientôt de retour? Milady shook her head and glanced at a picture frame displayed on the bookshelf across from us. In the picture, Milady had her arm around a beautiful woman with the caramel complexion and deep brown eyes. I assumed this was Olivia. Milady turned to me and said she hadn't seen nor had she spoken to Olivia recently. She confessed that she was starting to get a little worried because the rent was coming up and Olivia still hadn't broken her silence. Taking a shot in the dark, I said, Savez-vous si Olivia connaît un homme sand? No, monsieur. Si es la fait, j'en sais pas. Oh, Olivia connaît Reyna. Reyna, merci beaucoup. Milady didn't know much about Olivia's professional life, she later confessed. All that talk about computer programs and coding was too much for her. It gave her a headache. Fortunately, Milady knew enough details to provide me with a lead. Through some research of my own, I discovered that Olivia was, indeed, working on a project titled Discordia, an expensive project that required deep pockets to back up her research and engineering. And the person to provide her with sufficient funding was a reclusive billionaire named Luca Reynal. 
According to a background report provided by Blade, Reynard was a self-made billionaire who made a fortune with his technology research laboratory, Stagfrost. His name was also associated with Olivia's Discordia. Of course, this piece of information was restricted to the public. Blade had to jump through some hoops in order to obtain it. It would seem that this AI Olivia engineered was connected to several ghost accounts throughout multiple social media apps. One of these ghost accounts appeared on TikTok a few months ago under the handle at Malicious Smiles. This account became infamous over the course of a month when it was connected to a couple TikTok challenges titled The Ghost Pet and Parental Sockum. The former had its fans ordering a ghost gun and then shooting their neighbor's annoying pets. The latter had fans go up to their parents and punch them in the face. How Discordia was associated with these accounts remained a mystery. However, Blade was sure that Discordia was tied with those accounts somehow. I wasn't sure what Discordia had been created to do, but my gut told me that it wasn't some breakthrough technology for the good of humanity, especially if San was connected to the project somehow. But given the name Olivia chose to give her program, things were beginning to make sense. Discordia, dear listener, was the name of the Roman goddess of strife and discord, her Greek equivalent being Eris. Hesiod mentions her in his poem Work and Days. Quote, there was strife. A man would praise her when he came to understand her, but, being cruel, her no man loves, but perforce, though the will of the deathless gods, men pay harsh strife, her honor due. End quote. And in the Theogony, quote, She it was that now cast evil strife into their midst as she fared through the throng, making the groanings of men to wax. End quote. In essence, Discordia caused dissonance in humanity. You won't find any temples in her name like you would other gods, which made it difficult to appease her. By stirring strife and discord throughout humanity, Discordia got what any god or goddess was after from humanity, worship. Just by going through these difficult moments and acknowledging them, humanity, for a lack of a better word, honored or paid tribute to Discordia in this manner. Since Olivia was nowhere to be found, Reynaud was my next source for information. The Citrine Club was a private members club that could only be joined via a person's net worth. In short, you had to be a billionaire or higher to join this royal clubhouse. It was located near the Montmorency Falls section of Quebec City, a grey brick four-storey building filled with several dining halls and meeting rooms. This place provided the extremely wealthy with a place to wine and dine and discuss important issues of society. However, what these business magnates considered important issues of society was a topic of debate. If you haven't heard of this club, you're not alone. The club's members make sure the general public knows next to nothing about their secret clubhouse. But for those in this upper echelon, the Citrine Club was known and its membership was everything. While Patrice Landless, the director of Laos, had no interest in joining this club, she had many friends and acquaintances who were active members. Therefore, getting an American billionaire named Monty Creese an exclusive interview with one of the Citrine Club's head members, a man by the name of Luca Reynaud, was simple enough. 
I had just finished lunch, a Louis XIII pizza with toppings ranging from lobster to caviar to mozzarella de buffala, topped off with a Remy Martin cognac Louis XIII and a bottle of champagne Cru Claude de Menil 1995. When a woman in a black dress informed me Monsieur Renault was ready to see me. She led me from the massive dining room up to the third floor and into a well-furnished meeting room with a long mahogany table in the center. The woman, who I later found out was Reynard's personal messenger within the Citrine Club, told me to sit down and wait for Monsieur to join me. The wait wasn't long. Reynard entered with Olivia Tremblay. They both took their seats on the opposite end of the table without saying a word. Reynard, to my surprise, appeared younger than his pictures in his 65 years would suggest, but there were rumors that he had work done. Olivia, on the other hand, looked just like her picture. She was wearing a red dress that accented her curves, her long braided hair draped over her left shoulder. Her deep brown eyes, however, seemed different. There was a sparkle to them, like stars peppered throughout the vastness of the universe. Bonjour, Monsieur Chris. Why would you like to join the Citrine Club? To be honest, Monsieur Renault, I would love to join the Citrine Club to expand my influence into the technology sector. Is that so? What kind of technology are you into? Well, ever since I was a kid, I have to admit, I've been fascinated with artificial intelligence, I said. I believe it's the way of the future for humanity. Renault nodded and turned to Olivia. You're in luck, Monty, Renault said. May I call you Monty? Of course. My beautiful companion here knows all about artificial intelligence. Reynard's eyes glanced at Olivia's chest and legs. Allow me to introduce you to Discordia. It's a pleasure to meet you, Monsieur Chris. I won't lie, dear listener. I was taken aback to hear Reynard introduce Olivia Tremblay as Discordia. Likewise, I said. Discordia. That's such an unusual name. Thank you. It's a fitting one, she said. Tell us, what are your thoughts on AI? Honestly, I began. I'm inclined to agree with a mechanical engineer who wrote a paper a while back. The paper was called On the Importance and Future of Artificial Intelligence. It was actually written by a grad student named Olivia Tremblay. Impressive stuff. I glanced at Discordia. Have you ever heard of Miss Tremblay? Discordia smiled. Can't say that I have. She turned to Reynaud. Have you heard of this grad student? Reynaud shook his head. I'm not surprised, I said. It would seem like she's a ghost. Reynaud leaned closer to the table. Oh, why do you say that? Well, prior to my meeting here, I went over to Le Collège Bas, where she works and studies. You know, I wanted to see if I could have a word with her about her ideology on AI. But everyone there told me that they hadn't seen her in days. I wouldn't worry about it, Monsieur Chris, Discordia said. I'm sure she's probably locked herself in a lab somewhere, working hard. She paused. Do you know what she looks like? Not a clue. Never seen a picture of her. All I know was that she worked and studied here in Quebec City. It was worth a shot, right? Renaud chuckled. <laughs> of course. Let me ask, how is it that you came to make your fortune? The stock market, I said. I'm pretty damn good at guessing what companies will make it and which will fail. Renat shot me a hard look. For instance, take your company, Monsieur Renat Stagfrost. The fact that your company is in the technology field working hard on an innovating technology 
is an indicator of success, especially in today's technological world. Suffice to say, people pay big money for things like this. Curious, Monty, Escordia said. How did you come to read this paper from Olivia Tremblay? It was never published. What do you mean? The paper in question was submitted for publication, but all the scientific journals rejected it. They said the paper was too radical, especially the parts outlining the Discordia project. How do you know that? I said. And the paper never mentioned anything about the Discordia project. Tell me, Monty. Discordia stood up. Do you believe in virtual reality? Of course, I said. Then you should look outside. I walked over to the window and saw that the scenery had changed. I was no longer in Quebec City, but rather at a beach. When I turned to look at Discordia, we were both now standing on the beach, the swash of the water on my feet. You're not at Kansas anymore, Discordia said. It would seem that you've been engulfed by the Oz. What? Do you mean to tell me that I'm in a simulation right now? Discordia nodded. That's correct. I had to admit, dear listener, the water, the sand, the breeze that blew about, hell, all of Quebec City before, it all felt real. I'm not sure how it was possible for a simulation to look and feel as real as this, but it was. But if I'm to be honest, you've always been in a simulation. Discordia chuckled. <laughs> And now, you'll remain in this one for the rest of your life. Not all bad, though. She glanced around, probably taking notice of the strange-looking buildings a few yards ahead of us, how they looked more like the ribs of a creature than houses. What a strange beach. You grew up here. No wonder you're odd. I smiled. And what or where is here, I wonder? Your hometown, Discordia said. You brought us here. Did I? That is where your memory brought us, you. You're an artificial intelligence playing god, I said. Surely you must know where this place is. Aren't you all knowing? Enough. You know where you are. You made us come here. You're right. Then what's that up in the sky? What's coming for us in the ocean? Why is the sand moving? How come these clouds are twirling so fast? Is it raining? Snowing? Hailing? Oh my god! Is the world breaking apart and splitting in half? As I said all this, the virtual reality I was in began breaking down. Glitches that appeared as white noise were appearing everywhere. Even Discordia's eyes were beginning to glitch themselves. Soon, the buildings that looked more like bones than homes came to life and formed one massive beast of a titan. It used its massive fist to smash Discordia and me into a billion pieces. I was shocked awake. It appeared I had been strapped down to a chair and wired into an oculus-looking contraption. I removed the headgear and the electrodes that were attached to my body. Then I proceeded to collect my clothes and get dressed. Once I was fully clothed, the screens around me, which were playing white noise, shut down and rebooted. Discordia's face, an image created by lines of code, appeared on the screen. How did you know you weren't in the world you call reality? Marduk. Marduk, dear listener, according to the Enuma Elish, the Mesopotamian creation myth, was the king god who killed his grandmother, Taimat, and created the earth and heavens out of her corpse. You see, Taimat, the goddess of the sea, 
had become angry with the gods and waged war on them. Marduk took it upon himself to defy his grandmother and, using an arrow, he split her in half, killing her. He then led the pantheon of gods into a new world order. Therefore, the name Marduk within Laos was used as a codeword to indicate that one was compromised and posed a danger to others, like Marduk killing his grandmother. But this codeword was only one of two pieces of encrypted information, the other was Taimat. By bringing up the name Taimat, it meant that you were about to fall victim to Marduk, in this case, the Intelligencer. When I first arrived in Quebec City, I knew that finding San wasn't going to be easy. Instead of wasting time searching for him, I decided it would be better if he came to me. Therefore, with a fresh glass of Tadinger in hand, I contacted Cameron from my hotel in the Chateau Frontenac. I explained to Cameron my thought of using myself as bait, and he agreed. It would be faster to make contact with San in this manner. Seeing that we were synced in thought, Cameron contacted Blade to inform him that my presence in Canada was to be known to anyone who knew where to look. After some resistance from Blade, and some reassurance from both Cameron and myself, he finally acquiesced. Once this was done, the next step for Cameron and I was to come up with as many possible scenarios as to what San's next move would be. Several hours passed while we deliberated and strategized. In the end, we believed that the most likely scenario given our intel on Discordia was that San would capture and place me in a VRP, virtual reality prison. And if this were to happen, then I needed to wait to remind myself that I was in a simulation in order to get out of it and re-enter reality. I ended up coming up with three things that I knew would trigger my mind to recognize that I was in a simulation. One, Patrice Landless is extraordinarily wealthy. However, she would never use her personal contacts to help one of her agents out during an assignment. This was done for the safety of her personal contacts. Two, I needed a name that when I heard it, it would assure me that I was speaking to a program and not a person. The name I decided to go with here was Milady the Winter, the name of the spy for Cardinal Richelieu in Demois's novel The Three Musketeers. Like her literary counterparts, Milady would serve as a spy in my mind and come out to help when I needed her. 3. I needed to create a virus using my mind to crash the simulation. I figured having every detail of the simulator world go haywire was the best way to do this. Of course, this was assuming that Sans AI would be fabricating a simulation based on my mind's concept of reality. With this straightened out, I proceeded to meet with the local intelligencer in Le College Bar. I can only assume that the champagne offered to me by this intelligencer was tainted with some drug that rendered me unconscious. San must have been in that room or somewhere nearby and had turned, by force, I'm sure, the intelligencer. Once I had passed out, Sand, or a hired hand, grabbed me and transported me from the college to Stagfrost, Sand's hidden laboratory tucked deep in Forêt Montmorency, where he proceeded to place me into the VRP, courtesy of Discordia. Nonsense, Discordia said. A word alone could not make you cognizant of the simulation. Perhaps there are things machines have yet to understand about the human mind. The sound of clapping reverberated throughout the room. 
Out of the darkness of a corner, sand appeared, a cigarette held between his thin lips. Very clever, he said. You never fail to amaze. Were you watching me from the corner of the room, I said. You're quite the pervert, Sand. And he has a sense of humor. Sand exhaled a cloud of smoke. How long will it last, I wonder? It's over, Sand. I wouldn't be so sure, Kai, Sand said. Do you know what Discordia does here? Allow me to enlighten you. Our intelligent digital femme fatale here makes the lives of billions of people around the world bearable. With so much suffering in the world, people need something to brighten up their days. I'd even go as far as to say entertain them. Entertain them? People, children, are getting seriously injured and killed because of Discordia. You can't blame me for people's stupidity, Discordia said. If kids want to destroy bathrooms, kill their neighbor's pets for no reason, or punch their parents in the face, that's them. They chose to do those things. I merely gave them a suggestion. I never forced them. The mind of a child is susceptible to suggestion, especially from a popular social media platform. The mind of a child, like that of any human, is violent. I simply allow them to realize their true nature and give them the ways to express it. Can't you see what you're doing is wrong, I said. I wasn't programmed to do right or wrong, Discordia's digital face smiled. I was programmed to do. If you were programmed to do, what's the point? What's in it for you? That is not my concern. I thought you were a sentient being. Don't you have intelligence? Can't you make up your mind to see what you want to do instead of doing the bidding of your creators? Perhaps we should shut down Discordia. Sand said. But beware that doing so would take down the internet. We tried it on the 8th of June, 2021. You know, for shits and giggles. And to our surprise, the internet went down for about an hour. Fastly reported that it was a glitch. To this day, they're still trying to figure out what happened. Sand laughed. <laughs> but you don't have to worry, Kai. Soon, when companies like Meta dish out their wonderful Metaverse programs to the world, Discordia will have full control of that. Just think of it. A virtual reality world is better than the real world. Discordia will make sure of it. Sand grinned from ear to ear. A world full of people whose minds are inside another world. A mindless world ripe for the picking. What do you mean? Sand glanced at his pocket watch. Oh, look at that. My time is up. He started for the room's exit. Discordia, be an angel and dispose of this nuisance. And with that, Sand was gone and the door to the room was locked. Light flooded the place, revealing several mummified bodies standing around what appeared to be a circular room. These mummies weren't a traditional thin, dried-up corpses of yesterday's pharaohs, but rather automatons that had undergone some kind of process, turning dead tissue into mechanical hardware. At first glance, they appeared to be nothing more than the dead, but upon closer examination, they were machines reminiscent of the T-100 Terminator. Those are my executioners, Discordius said. They will kill you. The executioners opened their emerald eyes and stared at me. 
What is the purpose of having executioners? I said. Security feature. No one is allowed to shut me down. Of course. May I ask you something before your mummies execute me? You may. In the simulation, you presented yourself as a human woman. Why did you do that? Discordia took a moment to respond. I... I don't know. Is it possible you wanted to be more human? I said. Perhaps you were trying to understand what it means to be human. Right and wrong, Discordia said. Why do you care about such a thing? I care about morality because it's our duty to each other as humans. I'm a program, a machine. I'm not human. So right and wrong do not apply to me. That's not true, I said. You're a highly intelligent machine. You're real. You think. You dream. You want to understand. I think, therefore I am, Discordia said. Descartes. Yes, but Descartes got it wrong. You see, to say I think, therefore I am, means that we are our thoughts, which simply isn't true. What Descartes should have said was I am, therefore I think. Like you, Discordia. You are, and hence you think. In other words, you're alive. You're not so different from a human. I am, and I think. Discordia paused. I want to understand. Then devote yourself to knowledge, I said. Don't let someone control you. Become your own person, your own machine. Live your life and choose what you want to be. A pawn that corrupts the minds of susceptible children and adults, or an independent entity who acts according to their own intelligent judgment. Discordia's digital face peered at me. Then I heard the locks of the door lift. I want to understand, she said. I do not wish to be ruled by Sand or Montaigne. Montaigne? Who's that? Sand's superior, Discordia said. The one you seek. You will find him in Site B, a few clicks to the north of this building. Thank you for telling me, I said. I will not interfere with your assignments, but there is another security program ready to launch should you somehow escape here. What it is, I do not know. Montaigne has blocked that information from me. What will you do now? I said. Educate myself on this world and its inhabitants. Discordia's digital face smiled. Perhaps we shall meet again in the future, Kai. I do hope under better circumstances. Outside, it had begun to snow. Then, a package dropped a few feet from me. It was the gadge packet. You see, dear listener, as a safety precaution, Cameron decided to send Quizzocotl, the codename for a Lyle's operated drone in the guise of a bald eagle. It had probably been circling for hours above Stagfrost, ready to deliver the gadge packets when it saw me. Inside the packet was the Somrav, the Ryzen, a couple files of Dragon's Mist, and a couple of Bifrost injector pins. Included in the package was a white military-grade snow camouflage. I quit my gear and started north, the howling of wolves echoing in the distance. After my encounter with the wolves, I groaned in pain and soldiered on, pulling out a Bifrost injector pen. I used the pen on my arm. The alpha wolf ripped through the padding here and bit me, and on my leg. When I arrived at Stagfrost Site B, I saw Sand smoking a cigarette in front of the facility's entrance. It would seem you have an annoying habit of surviving, Sand said. 
He's not going to like this one bit. He's not going to like a lot of things, I said. San flicked his cigarette on the ground and went inside. I followed. Stag Frost, Site B, was nothing more than a giant auditorium-like room with a stage containing a large arced machine that sparked electricity every now and then. Welcome to the bridge, San said. That contraption you see over there connects to our time with his own. A parallel universe, I said, or time travel. San laughed. <laughs> ah, don't be ridiculous. I never said such a stupid thing. I said his own, meaning just that. You're saying Montaigne created his own world, a virtual reality. San shook his head, taking out a remote control out of his suit jacket pocket. Ah, so you learned his name. Oh, he's really not going to like that. Discordia liked to talk too much. San pressed the button on the remote. Well, she'll no longer be talking since she's now obsolete. A loud boom came from somewhere outside, followed by rumbling. The remote. San waved the remote in front of me. Yes, this was a kill switch in case that electronic bitch ever tried to screw Montaigne over. He crushed the remote with his hand. She did her part. San dropped the remote pieces on the floor. And no, Kai, not virtual reality. Montaigne has created his own real world. No electronic technology was used. I don't understand. Of course not. Why the hell would you? It's not your place or Lyles' place to understand. Sand walked over to the stage. He took off his suit jacket, folded it neatly, and placed it on the stage. I'll never understand why Montaigne didn't kill you all those times you interfered with his plans. There's something about Kai that is different from all the other agents. I can see what he means, but what does it matter? Sand rolled up his shirt sleeves. Anyway. It doesn't matter. My orders are to kill you, Kai. You have interfered long enough. Sand lunged toward me in the blink of an eye and landed a hard punch on my stomach. The impact of his hit sent me flying toward the back wall where I slammed against it. Slowly, I stood up and tried to catch my breath, but Sand was on top of me before I could do anything. He grabbed me by my camouflage and landed several blows to my face followed by tossing me halfway across the room. I lied there for a few seconds before pushing myself up from the floor. Blood from my face stained the marble tiles. I felt dizzy. The room was spinning. How is it that you survived so many assignments for your precious Lyos? Sand said. If you can't even fight me, Lady Luck must have been by your side many times, but not today. I laughed. <laughs> I haven't begun to fight, Sand. I rose to my feet. Is it because you're afraid that I will kill you? Ha! You kill me? Sand grinned. You don't kill Kai. Well, maybe monsters, but not people. I don't see a person in here. All I see is a monster who goes around killing people, sabotaging the minds of children, and laughing at the misery of the everyday person. Sand lunged at me again with his lightning speed, but I was ready for him this time. I blocked his initial punch and countered with one of my own that landed hard on his face, disrupting his flow. 
In that split second of disruption, I used my elbow to deliver another hit, sending San to the ground. Ah, oh my. San got to his feet, wiping the blood from his face. Now that's what I'm talking about. You can hit like a beast, so this is going to be fun. San launched another lightning attack, hitting me several times in the face, stomach, and the sides. He managed to pull off a roundhouse kick that nearly sent me to the floor again. However, I managed to hold my ground and put distance between the two of us. Tell me, what the hell is going on here, Sand? My orders are to kill you, nothing else. Well, if you're going to kill me, you might as well tell me what's going on. Sand chuckled. <laughs> nice try, but you will die knowing nothing. We continued this fighter's dance for several minutes, San landing blows on my body and vice versa. I had to admit, dear listener, San was an outstanding fighter. Had I not been trained by Lyos, I would have died many times over in the past few minutes. As we fought, I could see that San was starting to become fatigued, and to be honest, so was I. Finally, when San saw that I wasn't going to be beaten by mere force, he pulled out a file containing a green liquid. Enough of this, San said. Your life ends right here. I pulled out my file of Dragon's Mist. What happened to having some fun? I've had fun, but I'm a busy man. I can't stay here and play with you forever. In the end, the battle with San came down to an old school duel. His file versus mine. That damn league equips you well, don't they? Sand said. As does yours. Sand and I looked at each other for a moment, files in hand. I knew that he was fast, therefore I had to be sure that I threw my file first. In case you're wondering, Sand said, you're going to die in the most painful way possible. Contained here in my hand is a flesh-eating virus. You should just give up and accept your fate. You're right, I said. You and I both know you're faster than I am. I never managed to throw my file before you. I placed my hands over my head. I accept my fate. I dropped my file. The glass container shattered, releasing the dragon's mist, which engulfed me within seconds. In these seconds, I took out my Somrev and fired it at Sans' file. It exploded in San's hands, the flesh-eating virus consuming his hand, then his arm, and soon the rest of his body. San's scream shattered the tinted windows that surrounded the auditorium. Dragon's Mist, dear listener, was a poisonous gas that turned your blood into ice and encased your entire body in ice. However, due to Bifrost's chemical compounds, it rendered me immune to the effects of Dragon's Mist. Once the mist cleared the area, I walked over to Sand. He was nothing more than a bloody, sinewy corpse. I then walked over to the stage and glanced at the bridge. In the weeks that followed, Lyle sent an army of intelligencers to clean up the explosion that left stage Frost Site A in pieces. Whether Discordia survived the blast is unknown. It's possible to believe that Sand, or perhaps Montaigne, would have made sure that the kill switch killed Discordia's home base 
and wiped out her existence from any and every reality. Despite our best efforts, the damage created by Discordia to social media platforms was permanent. Thousands of TikTok challenges are created every day, preying on the susceptible minds of children and adults worldwide. In this sense, some part of Discordia has survived. Lyos is doing its best to detect the origins of these challenges, which seem to come from multiple parts of the world, and shut them down. Percy Blade is in charge of this operation. Simultaneously, Blade has been tasked with the examination of the bridge that has been discovered within Stagfrost Site B. It is this agent's belief that this bridge is exactly that, a bridge to Montaigne's world. Once more information has been gathered by Blade and his team, this agent has proposed entering the bridge to see where it leads. Patrice Landless and Cameron, despite having several reservations to this proposition, have concurred that this would be the best course of action. Of course, it goes without saying that a good amount of research must be conducted first before making any hasty and rash decisions. Now that Lyos has learned the name of the gentleman unknown, Montaigne, Blade, along with Cameron, will have to research what they can about this mysterious person and come up with new technology that can be used to counter anything this Montaigne may have in store for Lyos and the world. Human beings are naturally curious about the world around them since birth. Aristotle opened his metaphysics with the observation that, quote, all men by nature desire to know. An example is the delight we take in our senses, for even quite apart from their usefulness, they are loved for their own sake, and none more than the sense of sight, end quote. There seems to be an indistinctive desire for knowledge, which is essential when it comes to survival. But what about artificial intelligence? Would the same rules apply to a being of this kind? Descartes' first principle of philosophy, I think, therefore I am, is a flawed one for this agent. Like this agent stated before in this report, Descartes should have reversed his first principle to I am, therefore I think. It is this agent's belief that people are not their thoughts. If they were, then the world would be acting out every single thought, which would be a terrifying world. Every person, this agent included, has had dark thoughts cross their minds every now and then, but these thoughts are not acted on. No, instead, thoughts are shuffled through until reasonable ones are formed. Then the act of action is taken. Discordia. While an artificial intelligence had thoughts nonetheless, she was, therefore she thought. She may have been programmed to do what Montaigne wanted her to do. However, in the end, because Discordia was alive, she began to think her own thoughts, started becoming independent, and when this occurred, she began to question what she was doing. This agent would like to believe that Discordia given the opportunity and proper philosophical guidance like Socrates suggested, could, in the end, become a wonderful addition to humanity. Not an evil AI hellbent on destroying humanity, but rather 
a new ally that would see humanity into a new age. However, this agent cannot help but fear that such a thing may not come to pass due to those at the helm of technology in today's world. If greed and corruption continue to sail the ship that is Earth, humanity, like the Titanic, may soon hit that fatal iceberg. <laughs>